Good morning, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire uh, back with another Sunday School lesson after a brief hiatus. Uh, thank you for allowing me to take that. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the ninth week in our um, uh, series on apologetics. This is on uh, basic logic. Uh, logic is central to uh, Christian apologetics. Because logic is uh, in, contained in the very nature of God himself. Uh, so uh, apart from God, the unbeliever, the non-Christian who we've been talking about and talking to this entire time, um, can't account for logic. Uh, one of the most powerful ways to defend the Christian faith is to identify and refute logical fallacies in the objections raised against what we believe. This requires First, that our own reasoning is marked by true and sound thought. And in this lesson, we're going to learn how logic can help us to see through the false beliefs of the unbelievers that, uh, that we meet along the way. First, uh, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, um, we know that within your character are many things, many things that uh, are reflected in the image that you've laid upon us. We ask, God, that um, during this time you would help us to see the order uh, and the reason uh, within your character as it's reflected in us and in the uh, truths that you've taught us. We ask that we would... Um, that we would be logical beings as you are logical, uh, that we would be reasonable as you are reasonable, uh, and that we would approach all of these situations where we're speaking with unbelievers um, with love and, and grace as you are loving and graceful. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first thing that I want to do for you today is, is play you a clip. Uh, this is from... Greg Bonson, a, uh, a presuppositional uh, apologist who had a debate um, with a doctor by the last name of Stein, um, Gordon Stein uh, was his name, uh, and this is, uh, it's, it may be hard to hear, and I apologize for that in advance, but I think it's such a, a beautiful use of uh, logic and reason in apologetics. Here is Dr. Greg Bonson. You mentioned logical binds and logical self-contradictions in your speech. You did say that? I said it. I use that phrase, yes. Do you believe there are laws of logic then? Absolutely. Are they universal? They are agreed upon by human beings. They aren't laws that exist out in nature. They are, are they simply conventions then? They are conventions, but they are conventions that are self-verifying. Are they sociological laws or laws of thought? They are laws of thought which are interpreted by men and promulgated by men. Are they material in nature? How can a law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. In fact, time now you have an opportunity to cross examine Dr. Bonson. Dr. Bonson, uh, would you call God material or immaterial? Immaterial. What is something that's immaterial? something not extended in space. Can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? 
So clearly there, that's not the way that we should engage um, most of the unbelievers that we're going to be uh, speaking with regarding um, our faith. Uh, There's a little bit of snarkiness in it and a little bit of uh, gotcha sort of... um, uh, gotcha question. But uh, other than that, I, it is a, a, a wonderful way of showing that the unbeliever has no legs to stand on when it comes to uh, logic. Um, they can't account for it uh, in the same way that they want logic to be um, the foundation by which they uh, have their beliefs. But without God, where, where does logic come from? Logic is the art and science of reasoning well. Uh, More formally, uh, Farnham in his book uh, defines it as the study of the methods by which the conclusion is proved beyond all doubt. In other words, logic is what distinguishes between what is not true, what may be true, and what is absolutely necessarily true given the facts. Logic helps us avoid contradiction and irrationality. It keeps us um, from allowing incidental, peripheral, or unimportant factors from interfering with the, our, our seeking after the truth. For example, I was telling a friend of mine whether or not I stop believing Christianity tomorrow, uh, whether or not I like what you know some of the things that happen in the old testament doesn't mean that it even it isn't true um if something is true i should believe it whether or not i like the fact is irrelevant um it if fact follows logically from evidence it is a truth that we must believe to reject truth is illogical And so when we think about logic, we need to think about the alternative as well, which is illogic. For us to say that I know he lives because he lives in my heart, that's illogical. It doesn't follow from the evidence. The evidence of Christ's resurrection is sufficient to say that he lives because the evidence is clear and it is relevant and I believe he lives because scripture attests that he lives. The evidence within scripture is sufficient such that we must believe it. It is logical. Uh, To reject it would be illogic. Of course, Christians can and do often uh, make mistakes in their thinking and in their logic. I gave you one of them uh, just now you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Um, errors in the structure of the logical arguments that we can make are called formal fallacies. Now, the last thing that you should do is point out fallacies that uh, an unbeliever is um, falling for or engaging in in an unkind or uncaring way. Um, Now, you can, with kindness and and with gentleness, uh, point out these kind of things, but I would be very, very careful in how you do that. Um, We're not going to cover everything. Uh, We're going to cover a lot of the uh, logical fallacies, though. Um, 
after you've pointed out gently and carefully a logical fallacy, um, they're often emotionally satisfying still. People will still lean on them. Um, even many Christians um, believe this following statement, which comes from uh, Farm's book, um, to be true, even though it's a fallacy. Because it gives them, it gives us us as Christians confidence. Millions of people around the world, it said, and throughout history, have found peace and hope in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he must be the way to salvation. It's a little bit, you know, of a take on what I just said. And uh, while it is true, Farnham says that becoming a follower of Christ gives peace. That truth does not prove Christianity true. People feel a sense of peace through many means. And you can talk to people about how they find peace through their family, through other religions, through believing that the material world is all that there is, by meditation, through addiction, addictive substances, um, you know, a hike in the woods. I had a woman once tell me, my church is the woods. And uh, this, this fallacy is called an appeal to popularity. It's an argument that is based on what a large number of people think or believe. And just because a big group of people think it, remember, we're all flawed human beings and sinners, doesn't make it true. It reminds us that nothing is ever true just because it's popular, just because it's the majority position. So we're going to go through a short list of some popular logical fallacies that both believers and unbelievers fall for. Um, we're going to go through each of these and, and talk about examples of how Christians engage in them and how unbelievers engage in them and then show what's wrong with both. First is an appeal to authority. And this is defined as a claim uh, defended or advanced on the basis of those who believe it. And this is typically on the Christian side when we say, well, you know, Einstein believed in a higher being or a, an authority above his own or an intelligent design, or um, we go back and say the same thing of Charles Darwin or of, um, I mean, any uh, popular figure, very smart figure. Um, I mean, we can see this on the unbelieving side when folks start to talk about, look at all the smart atheists there are in the world, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking or Bart Ehrman, Richard Dawkins, uh, they, uh, look at how incredibly intelligent they are and they don't believe in God, so why should I believe in God? Well, nothing is ever true because of who said it, except for God, except for the one who has all knowledge. Therefore, we need to learn actual arguments, um, and we don't need to answer authority with authority. We don't need to say, um, well, the Bible is true because of these smart people who believe it, or the Bible is not true because of these smart people who don't believe it. That is, it's a, an appeal to a flawed source. Another thing that Christians will often do is personally attack those who they don't agree with. Um, I've heard this often. 
especially with uh, Mormonism or other cults. They'll say, well, Mormonism can't be true. Look at the life of Joseph Smith. He was a con man and uh, a fraud. Well, Abraham lied about Sarah, uh, but we believe his life to uh, have been one that God personally set aside in order to advance the story of his people. So just because somebody is flawed doesn't mean what happened to them is untrue. Um, the other, I mean, this is one that you've probably heard. Bill Nye only has an undergrad degree in engineering, therefore he doesn't know anything about biology or cosmology. Well, that doesn't make him wrong. Uh, what does make him wrong is the facts and the logic that he's laying out are wrong. Um, unbelievers will say the same thing about Ken Ham. He only has an undergrad degree in applied science, so how could he know things about advanced science? Or, hey, you know, uh, most of the Christians I've met are bigoted, hateful people. Um, or the uh, disciples were uneducated fishermen, so their eyewitness testimony about Jesus' resurrection was nothing more than superstition. It's all dishonest. It distracts from the real issue at hand by focusing on something that has nothing to do with the argument, whether it's true or false. So it could, what we said about Joseph Smith or about Brigham Young, about Bill Nye or Ken Ham or all Christians in general may be true or it may be false, but it has nothing to do with whether or not Christianity itself is true or false. The next one we'll talk about is false cause. This involves attributing a cause to an event or an idea that is not the actual cause. Just because it rains, every time you bring Sally with you on a picnic does not mean that Sally causes the rain. Just because your favorite baseball team wins whenever you are in your lucky chair, or for me it's wearing a certain t-shirt uh, to uh, root for the Seahawks, or um, eating pretzels or pork rinds uh, on game day doesn't mean that you are causing the win with your action. Um, Christians say things like, attending public school makes teens more likely to walk away from their faith in college. This nation is starting to go downhill every time, you know, uh, when prayer is taken out of school or when, you know, politicians stop quoting the Bible or the reason crime is on the rise is because people have stopped going to church. Those consequences aren't necessarily related to the action uh, to which we attribute them. Unbelievers will do the same thing. Um, we need to get rid of the superstitious notion of God and you know, humanity will become more peaceful. Or schools that teach children that they are good and not sinners have lower rates of failure. Uh, science flies you to the moon, religious flies you into buildings. Uh, Victor Stenger, a physicist, says that. These arguments, uh, according to Farnham, attribute a cause to a state of affairs without demonstrating that it is truly the reason for the action. Uh, only when we can demonstrate definitely that one thing caused another should we link cause and effect. The next thing is a red herring. Uh, in this instance, an argument 
seems to support a person's position, but in reality, it has nothing to do with the question at hand. Um, this the saying itself comes from the practice of dragging a bag of red herrings across a scent trail so that dogs would get distracted and lose the scent. When the question at hand is ignored and a related idea is argued instead, a, a red herring has been dragged across the track or the, the trail of the argument. Um, this may be difficult to spot, but we must always forge ahead on the, on the, the path that we know to be correct and not to get confused or, or distracted by other uh, arguments. So one of the ways that Christians do this, and I've, I've heard this before as well, is they'll say to the unbeliever, well, I mean, if you're telling me that the Bible is false, then you're saying that I've wasted my life. Well, no, the, the unbeliever is just saying that you believe a wrong thing, just in the same way that we're telling the unbeliever they believe a wrong thing but emotionally appealing to the fact that you're talking with a friend of yours and that friend is saying, yeah, you're believing a wrong thing and you're wasting your life doing it. That doesn't make the thing true or false. It just means that you're appealing to their emotions. Unbelievers say um, Christianity uh, never helps anybody. Uh, you just think about the the soul of a person and and uh, not their physical well-being. Or um, I know God is not real because I asked Him to show Himself to me and He didn't do it. Uh, or you know, that's also it's a it's a red herring because God doesn't do precisely what we want Him to do ever. He is God. Um, the reason that one's position or belief. Um, has nothing to do with the belief in and of itself. Uh, whether I believe something to be true doesn't make it true, right? We talked about that already. Uh, as with the previous fallacy, we need to show a necessary connection between the thing and um, whether or not it's, it's true. The next one is a good one. It's called a false dilemma. Um, there, to, to state that there are only two choices uh, when in fact, you know, there are more options. Um, uh, and almost always one option is uh, super bad and you don't want to take it. So you are forced then into taking the other option. Um, Christians will do this by saying, and Farnham has a really good quote here, ask Jesus to be your savior right now, right here, regardless of your questions and objections, or you can count on the fact that you'll never get into heaven. Well, that's not true. I mean, um, the Holy Spirit can work on somebody's life uh, in a variety of ways and, and forcing them right there and right then to commit to something um, that, may, that they may not be ready for would be that false dilemma. It's either you're going to hell or accept Jesus right now. Well, both things um, may not necessarily be true. They may not accept Jesus right then, but they also may not be going to hell because the Holy Spirit's still working on their soul. Um, this is done all the time as well, is when people make secondary and, and tertiary uh, claims about Christianity and, and raise them up to primacy. 
Like, you must believe in a literal six-day creation and and 24-hour days, or you cannot become a Christian, or you can't stay a Christian, or I question your salvation unless you uh, did not vote for Hillary Clinton. That kind of thing. Unbelievers do the same thing. Either you believe in science and reject religion, or you must remain in blind superstition and reject modern science. Well... It's also not true. We can and do believe that science is a methodology that God has given us to explain the world around us, but it doesn't mean that God is not there. It simply means that you accept that the way that the world works is consistent because God is consistent in his character. Uh, Another one, this is another quote from Farnham, either God is not all-powerful or he is not all-loving. If God were all-loving, he would want to rid the world of evil. If he were all-powerful, he would be able to get rid of evil in the world. But there is evil in the world, so either God is not all-powerful or not all-loving. So the fact is, then, that in reality, there are often more choices available than the two that are presented by the person who uh, is presenting things in the way that we've sort of defined this fallacy. The next one is also something that you hear often from Christians. It's called a hasty generalization. Um, A conclusion about everything of a particular kind is based on one or just a few examples. For example, when we judge all used car salesmen based on our experience with one or two of them, that's a hasty generalization. We tend to believe that every individual person or thing or idea is just like the few that we have encountered, uh, heard about, or read about. Um, Christians will say things like, Atheists are bad people, and they're immoral. I know because my neighbor is an atheist, and he has tattoos and yells at his girlfriend. Or Muslims will never listen to the gospel. Look how they persecute Christians around the world. Nobody wants to hear the gospel anymore. I have tried witnessing to my coworkers, and they just shut me down and refuse to talk about God. Unbelievers will do this in a similar way. They'll say that uh, Christians are dangerous to society. I mean, look at the the last um, school shooter. He went to church every week. Or uh, churches are all about guilting people into giving money. And they, they you want to buy your place in heaven with the money that you give to a church. I visited a church once, and all they talked about was money. When in fact... Neither are personal experiences or just a few examples represent necessarily everything about that class of people or events. We should focus on what can be recognized as wide, widespread characteristics of a group if we're going to characterize them in a certain way.